This is a public broadcast on behalf of the N Podcast Alan Moore Month. The following contains adult themes and explicit language throughout, such as fuck, fuckface, fucker, and you fucking fuckfaced fucker. Should this put your sensibilities in danger, then we recommend you visit your local physician as soon as possible and ask for an implantation of a lovely big pair of bollocks. Farewell, friends. Hello, and welcome to the second part of the End Podcast, Alan Moore Month. And this week we will be talking about the Ballad of Halo Jones, originally in 2000 AD, split into small parts in their weekly magazine or comic magazine. And it's what shone the spotlight on him before he was picked up by the big publishers in America. Which, unfortunately, meant this was also not concluded and the saga was incomplete. It was originally released in 1984 to 1985 and has had almost annual reissues since and is seen as one of the first matriarchal protagonists to not lean into femininity and just be written as their own character. Now... I have a lovely cast with me today. I am, as usual, your host, Matt, Marvel Spank, Spanky, Spank the Lutch, the Magnificent Spank, Spank. I, I don't know, you, you can you can add and subtract with whatever you like, <laughs> as I have just done to great effect. Joe, hello, how are you? Good, good. Pleased to be Very here. Very happy to be here. I haven't been here for, what, a week? Two weeks? I don't know. Good oh. to be here. Good to hear, be with the gang, talk about some books, and let's get to the others so we can get yeah, to Yeah, how do you feel about me making a mess of the intro? Actually, I don't know if it's just because I'm here, but it almost seems like every time <laughs> I'm on, you fuck up the intro. Good point, well made. So, um, Brian, well, how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yo, here it like- is. Bam! And you said, God damn, this is a dope jam. You know what? It's just is as it is, man. Be like water, my friend. Brian Boogie Down Brown coming to you live and direct from the south coast of the UK. Find me on Twitter at B-O-0-G-I-D-E-D-O-W-N. Boogie Down. Please, not not so much emphasis on the end. It's giving me throwbacks to last week. <laughs> <laughs> You make you're making me sweat, mate. Let's just keep everything on a level. <laughs> Sorry, you are positively glowing today. How are you? Fine. I did not realize I was glowing. That is a mistake of nature. And quite follow Ryan's lyrical introduction. Find me at least at Twitter as Film Noir Girl, but with no I, just R's. And I'll figure out how to brand myself so you can find me at the other places. <laughs> Very kind of you do. And Tim, cheer you up, know, Cheer up. <laughs> hey, you know, as I listen back to this on, you know, my personal favorite, which is Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast platforms, all I hear is a perfect introduction on the first take. So, <laughs> you That's nailed it. Anybody will ever have. That's all it is. <laughs> there might be a yeah. little wink afterwards where, uh, you know, I might mention yeah. how perfectly first attempted it was, but <laughs> yeah, it was, nailed it. As, every time you nail them the first try, I don't know how you do it. Um, oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Considering it this is only my 10th go. <laughs> right. It's amazing, really, that I've only had 10 times to get this right. <laughs> As Tim rightly said, we are available on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. We also have presence on Twitter daily and Instagram when any of us remember that we have Instagram. <laughs> what we have is fantastic. It's commendable. It's probably not the volume. So let's crack on. Joe, do you want to kick things off? What did you think, the old uh, chestnut? Sure, sure. I went in knowing that this was written in 84, right? So yeah. my expectations were low. And I found the first volume 
took a while to get through, but then volumes two and three, I really enjoyed. So overall, I really enjoyed it. He was trying to change the format over at 2000 AD, where it was all dudes with guns and shooting shit up. And he wanted to go with a more personal story. And I thought he did a great job. Volumes two and three were great. Read through those super quick. First one was a little tedious. He was setting up cosmic slang and everything. So it took a little getting used to, but then after that, boom. Flew right through the other two. Love so them. you are after the first three pages, I almost put it down and thought, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Every third word was in completely silly. And then it, he just kind of forgot about it. I don't it. know if he was trying to come up with like this weird slang, like future, this no. is the way people are going to talk in the future type thing. And it just, I found it just didn't flow well. Yeah, really. Like you said, after a while, it kind of found its rhythm and grooves. They just basically spoke American English. <laughs> <laughs> like after the third page, he's like just gave up on it. <laughs> Noticeably, it took you out of it, I found. So I was nodding contently. What are you agreeing with? Or do you just like Joe's hat or my face? Well, of course, I love both of those as well. <laughs> but I was nodding in agreement with how the words really kept taking me out, kept checking back. What page am I on? How far am I in that first volume? But I didn't feel like I did that towards the end of the first one or for the others. This was my first read of it, so I get to be the virgin this week. I was thinking if I had got my hands on it in 1984, I would have been primed for it, which I had known about it in real time. It took me a little while, and I realized, like, my thoughts kind of came together overnight, which is what they're supposed to do, but seldom that happens. And I woke up this morning, oh my gosh, I was confused because... He wasn't tropey with her. He didn't use the usual devices to move the story forward. One of them having a romance wasn't a narrative device necessarily. It was just a thing that happened. It's an important distinction, actually, whether you're you're taking it in context for 84 on the basis of everything that we've read since then and in between, or sort of anti-trope 84. But now we've seen a lot of strong female protagonists that work very well. But yeah, very much so. I didn't know anything about this book. You and me both. I vaguely knew when it was published because a lot of his famous stuff was published around the same time. And I had no idea that it was cut into these little six page chunks. Going into that and reading the first, you know, two pages, having read the whole thing, I can't even tell you now what happens in the first two pages. Is it a newscaster or some kind of, I don't even know what is going on there. And I couldn't <laughs> read it. I felt the same way as you, Matt. I was going to put, put the thing down. What is going on here? Um, but then it's hard. As Joe points out, it opens up quite a bit. The second and third volumes were so entertaining to read. Having consumed the whole thing, I actually think going back that I appreciate the first volume the most as sort of a headspace matter, but I overall loved this book, notwithstanding the first single chunk of the first volume was painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll set that out right there. You could lose that almost entirely. It's not even really world building. I don't even know what is going on there. It's actually quite funny because there's a part of that where maybe the first time that we see Moore's attention to detail that in that opening skit, if we call it that, there's actually a newscast that announces the start of the Tarantulian yeah. War. And then there's the reference to that Lux Roth chop guy who turns out to be important, you know, for the Tarantulian War ultimately. Had I gone back and read this a second time after concluding the series, it probably would make more sense. But I remember just at the time thinking, what? <laughs> but I guess I reserve the right to be wrong about that. The book on balance was, I thought, amazing. Nonetheless, I'd have to agree. I'll give my age away. I was uh, in secondary school. I used to spend my pocket money on these, go to the laundrette and do the washing and sit there reading Judge Dredd, Blaine, The Warrior, all of this. And what did I used to do? Get past Halo Jones. It's like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> There's no guns. Like, what I don't, you know, I read a little bit. You know, like, I just skipped it 
But then when I step back, it pretty much is on the money, or as they say, an es- a version of Esperanto. It generally is how young people are. They use different words and, you know, to distance themselves and create their own sense of identity. Once we got past that first arc, this is a different headspace. It was a real gut punch at the end of that first arc. <laughs> Never sat through this at age 11, 12, yeah, yeah. but yeah, as an adult, I'm like, wow. If someone asked you, what's this book about? Like, what happens <laughs> in this book? It's very hard to, it's not really, I mean, it is plot driven in a sense. It's a character study in a lot mm. of ways. You know, most comics, you could describe what happens in a broad way. I guess by volume, you can describe what happens. It's because it was never finished. Because he went to North uh, America and started writing yeah. Swamp Thing. He was supposed to write her whole story. That was one thing that was happening at the time at 2008. They were getting all their top talent plopped mm-hmm. by these North American comic companies. Mm-hmm. They knew it was happening. They couldn't do anything about it. All these great yeah. British creators were leaving for DC. The editor over there had ties to a lot of these creators. She was poaching them. And he never got to finish his story. And Neil Gaiman goes on. He loves this story, Neil Gaiman. And he talks about how it's a tragedy. Moore never got to finish this story. Because as far as he's concerned... It's like one of the greatest masterworks in comics. That's yeah, awesome. you can tell, you can definitely tell there's there's an attempt to build a bigger story. I mean, when you first open volume two, when it's the professor, right? In that, is it volume two that he's in the classroom with the kids who are being... Yeah, that's yeah. the intro. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that piqued my interest like so hard. Because it turns out she's some great historical figure or at least mm-hmm. minor historical figure of interest to academics. How interesting. The way that I read it was she was the most passive protagonist I'd ever read. Everything yes. seems to happen around her, yeah. but, but she never made any decisions to alter to the path of the story rolls with the punches all the major plot points come to the people or the in- instances around her it's kind of a passenger through the story as things unfold around her as forrest gump meets all these historical <laughs> so figures true. that make such a great impact but he's never you know, he's never the main attraction that's kind of halo jones she meets all these mm-hmm. historical major figures and she has a very small part in interaction with them that's interesting yeah. because you know usually we do not chronicle the lives of people who are just mere passengers throughout history they have to be <laughs> sort of actors so either something was lost in terms of what would have accomplished had he continued the story or else there are pieces that i need to think about more carefully about how you can reconcile those two things and the way it finishes is one of the few times where she actually makes a concrete decision Mm -hmm. and turns the nozzle when he goes out takes the ship and it finishes with her at age what is it she's 30 33 Mm -hmm. now she has her own ship and she's going out to the galaxies exploring on her own terms. But we don't get to see that mm-hmm. after. So you never get, and I think that's where maybe the story would have yeah. made, but we don't get mm-hmm. that second half mm-hmm. of her life. I thought of her more as just non-aggressive than of passive. The difference being she chose her battles, but if she needed to stir things up. For me, it's more a case of the way that Moore wrote Halo Jones. He wasn't putting her in this narrative arc whereby she was being challenged, whereas a lot of those obstructions or calamities or life-changing things were happening to the people around her. And her sort of arc was passing through the trauma or the danger or the love or the loss, as opposed to it actually happening to her and i think that's where we separate the characteristics of a person that has free will and decision making processes and the creative choice of an authoritative creation i certainly don't disagree with you on that but i think it's an important distinction to make not everyone who achieves greatness set out to do so some people fall into that lane and they're ambling along and they find something that they're good at just like, oh, I'll just keep doing it. And then they realize, actually, I'm quite good at this. So where I got to where I am today, which isn't far, it's not as if I knew what I want. I knew what I didn't want. 
Exactly. First part was from that first volume when she decides I'm getting off the hoop. Yep. And she didn't have a plan. Get me out, dude. Get out. Change her life. She didn't care what it was going to change into. But like you said, it's a much more personal story. It's not like this grandiose person who's going to change the world. No. What (laughs) I thought at 18 and what I think today are two vastly different worlds, man. And this (laughs) is what as a person, you grow so much over the years. And that's what he did with her. And it's that progression in life. And this is what forms you as a person. And he nails that. Nails it like so well. Any part of this story, we could relate to at least one part of this story at one point reading through it. Like that's the way I yeah. felt. Yeah. And it touches on a lot of other issues too. I agree with Brian 100%. Like that's what more more was going for. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. If I could just introduce a theme. So each volume, I think, touches on different elements of how modern society can be deeply dehumanizing. So in the first one, how technology can de- dehumanize you. And the second volume is about how capitalism can dehumanize. And the third one's militaristic dehumanization. And the thing that I liked about the first one so much, so there's these bizarre technological things that you're int- introduced to. I think it's supposed to say, you know, kind of punch you in the face. But what I thought about the first volume that's so cool is that there's something to be said about deep resistance of ordinary life in the face of such dehumanization. Yeah, she's a passenger in some ways throughout history, but in being, in simply doing ordinary things, she is doing something deeply resistant. I I guess I agree. She's not passive per se. In being non, maybe as Tara says, non-aggressive or non-active in that sense, there's something actually quite humanizing about that. It was a brave decision to write somebody like that. As Joe rightly said, there's a rush to the punch. 2000 AD was always big guns. Guys and and gore was their slogan. Yeah. What was the, what was the robot (laughs) dog called? Toby. Toby? Toby. Toby. That whole <laughs> twist in the tale came because they told him to put more violence. So that was the only reason the bloodlust came really? in, in that romantic arc. Yeah. Did you think it was silly? Very silly, I thought. It was silly. A little bit. It irked me. Seemed out of character for the story. So the breadcrumbs weren't really there to lead to this. So it didn't seem like a logical next step. It's almost like he was forced to do it. Fuck it. I'm going to get it out of the way. <laughs> Exactly. You happy? Let's move on with the story. So I thought it was kind of cool that Toby did not have a per se pet personality, right? It's like yeah. a personality yeah. that could have gone into a like a humanoid as a lover. Yeah. So strange and kind of interesting, I thought. Well, he was closer to being a cat than a fucking dog. <laughs> Fuck you, I'm taking off. I don't know if it's the inker or it's Ian Gibson. As you yeah. go, the tone of the illustrations become more less cartoony and more real more somber. So I don't know if it's because she's getting older, life has beaten her down, so they changed that tone a little bit. They actually used a different tint to the background. So the first one, it was yellow. The second was green, and the third one was blue. Now, I can't remember what emotional reaction that's supposed to make you feel for each of the colors, but th- that progression was definitely something that was intentional. Not even just in the colors. There was much more hashing, more shading, more heaviness in the, the illustration. So... She was a lot more expressive as well with some of the close-ups in the, in the face. Yeah, yeah, for sure. More of it is to do with the fact that Ian Gibson's skill increased. You can see his art grow and, and mature over this period. Published weekly? Every single Halo week. Jones did. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In the late 80s, early 90s, The Guardians of the Galaxy by Jim Valentino has mm. a very similar style and feel to this. It's, it's okay. crazy. Like, And that also was a weird space odyssey. I don't know if that was the direct influence from mm. this. The grittiness it doesn't work in digital because Digital gives it a veneer, gives it a sheen, gives it a shine, makes it pop. This paper, it was not high quality paper and it wasn't your regular size. It's a weird kind of box shape. Titles like 
Beasley Lobo. His work just tracks well on paper, visceral. It's almost as if it's tearing into the paper. Like you, you feel mm. it. Yeah. I, I, in the nineties, I worship that guy. His yeah. art, was, oh, like you yeah. said, just so visceral. Like yeah, oh, that he, heavy just, metal. Oh my god. Yeah, like for sure, it had that heavy metal style for sure. Like yeah. as a teenager growing up in the nineties, I ate that up. Like yeah. I loved it. <laughs> loved it. Definitely, definitely. But getting back to what you said, the paper, how it adds to the yeah. story. Perfect example of that is the hardcover for the deceased by DC okay. by Tom Taylor. Right. They use the newsprint paper in there for the quality of the paper. It's a part of the medium. You got to play with that i still think of it today when i read that hardcover is that paper fit perfect and with yeah. the colors palette they use that matte finish was oh it was mwah, it was beautiful yeah. yeah it can only really work on on yeah. something yeah. tactile yeah it definitely isn't a glossy shiny story mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so no. let's not put it on glossy shiny paper <laughs> I don't know what accounts for this other than I can just describe it. I found the artwork very efficient and I don't mean simple. It's almost as if Gibson was staging a play, right? Nothing is wasted. It's all purposeful. There, it's got a reason. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. If you're staging a play, you only have one set to work with. Everything has to be set there for a purpose. There's nothing gratuitous or showy about it. And I thought that really, really works with the real character-driven element of the, the story. I, mean, I thought it was conspicuous. I thought it was like very, very thoughtfully laid out. For example, that we have half a volume of them finding the specific shop in the mall, but we never see inside <laughs> the mall because the, yeah. the surroundings and the backdrops would have been time-intensive to draw. We have her in a war. But all we ever see is interacting with one person at one time mm -hmm. and anybody else is basically a part of the scenery. Incredibly efficient and purposeful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the first I time I noticed that, when they come back from the shopping trip, found out what's happened with Brina, but then the sister comes back. She's just had yeah. an implant done. The implant, um, yeah, yeah, that's it. And she's wigging out. The way how he drew her just sat there. She's not even here, bruv. She's in her own zone in her head. I felt the first volume just in general felt a lot more perilous, a lot more dangerous. Whatever they had to encounter on that day, even the slightest of tasks made oh, it feel sure. like they were, like, yeah. well, like yeah, I said, they, in immediate risk. That's that is the hoop, right? It that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the hoop is. All the poor, the unemployed gets thrown down here because out of sight, out of mind. They don't want to see with it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to deal with it. Right. Your welfare card and you can't leave. We'll pay taxes to keep you in this community where we never have to look at you again and never have to think about you. And that's what the hoop is. It isn't made for people to have dreams or aspire to something. Put them there and get them out of the way. survive till they die and that's it. You don't expect anything more from anyone that goes on the hoop, right? So it is, yeah. like Matt said, despair. You have no dreams of escaping it. That's your life now. Till you die. And I think that's why those drummer characters are so appealing to a lot of the people because you turn your mind off. You don't think yeah. about anything. You don't have feelings. You don't have empathy. You don't have you just are. It makes it rational to become one of these mindless kind of zombies. Just the ordinary aspect of going to the store, doing something completely normal and choosing not to become yeah. a drummer, which is obviously so, such a rational response, is itself mm -hmm. a form of resistance. I'm more committed to that theme now even than I was before, having heard you say that, Joe. But yeah. they talk about how you had a choice to go just get put to yeah. sleep. Yeah. Garden something. Yeah, the garden, garden. some yeah. kind of garden. Because if you get caught there, there's like a punishment. Get two panels. I think it's in there for two panels. And they said, oh, well, if we get caught, just say 
we had a moment of clarity and we changed yes. our mind. Yes, yeah. that's it. right. Yeah, exactly. I had a little bit of trepidation about this one because I thought, I'm struggling to really think about talking points. But you guys, honestly, what a crew. <laughs> Another thing that I'd like to go back to, like from Brian, like he said, he used to pick up these mm. magazines. He'd be going through and boom, Halo Jones, fuck this shit. You know, when you're a teenager, <laughs> you want the yeah, action. You, you want the, yeah. and more is very early in his career. And he decides to, write a book like this that takes yeah. someone who's stubborn balls guts who doesn't I was give a do shit this right he's not there for success he's there for his own artistic integrity this is what he wants to put out there and i think he was trying to make comic books become a legitimate medium like it's a piece of literature it's not just for yeah. kids there are stories that can be told for adults as well just because it's drawn and colored doesn't give mm. the story any less weight or validity and it can tackle issues that we see today and uh, it tackles ptsd poverty class systems it tackles everything anything you could think of he almost tackles every issue that you see in modern society today see? and back then or maybe that we'll even encounter in the future economics world economics the war was created because a certain race of people told them they couldn't sell water anymore like i mean he tackles all kinds of themes in this and i think for some people, you know, they're maybe not ready for this. I agree. I didn't read any of this shit when I was a teenager. I was like, yeah, Punisher, man. Give me some guns shooting shit up. Frank yeah. Miller was huge. He brought a dark aspect to comics, but it was still action-based. He took the shininess off comics and made it dirty and grungy. Mm -hmm. But he didn't go into these issues or themes as much as, let's say, Amor did. Mm -hmm. Hypothetically, I may have been very close to Halo Jones' age. But the stuff that you guys were happy to get to in the books yeah, was yeah, not right. what I needed. Guns, guys, and gore. Yeah, I wasn't looking for that. She's not a badass. She's not hyper intelligent. They didn't mm. over sexualize her, make her super sexy. It's just a normal girl that's just trying to find her way in the world. He didn't make her non sexual because there's parts in the book where they go to the bar and try to pick up unsuccessfully. You know, mm. she has urges like a normal person and he treats her just like not just a piece of candy or, or something as a plot device. It's yeah. a very normal character like any other character. And she's yeah. a woman. Neither a victim or an aggressor. Right. No, exactly. Exactly, yeah. It seems to be more and more common that you have to be one or the other. When there's a woman protagonist, she has to be kick-ass. She has to be the baddest of badasses that's ever mm. been on the pages of a comic. It's rare that someone will write write it down. And to be able to do that and write the story he did and have it come off as well as it did, that's just that just shows his talent. What did you guys make of the character Glyph, the, the stowaway? Thank you. That's exactly what I wanted to bring up too. I felt heartbroken about that character. But at the same time, it was progressive because they were talking about, I don't remember anybody able to have that discussion about changing genders at that time. Do you think there was a message about gender identification at too younger age? That's what I kind of read into it. That maybe like if they had waited like, longer, it would have been clearer what to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like when people issue. are old enough to make a decision and not necessarily allowing something like that to happen. But no, it's still a progressive, whichever, whichever interpretation. It's, it was brave. Also, thought... the other aspect of no one ever noticing. Like, I remember in high school, you know, that quiet person that no one ever notices till, you know, something happens. They're like, oh, yeah. How many people go through life wanting to connect with people, but completely being unable for whatever reason to connect with anyone? That must be a very lonely life. Very lonely. Did a really good job of showing how heartbreakingly lonely it could be. Oh, at the very end when they said, oh, it feels like something's missing. Yeah, uh, yeah they weren't music, sure what, yeah. though. And then the little robot armor drawn the person. Yes. That was really sad. I teared up. I like you think it. maybe maybe something's gonna happen where <laughs> you will like I don't know. You hope there's they'll be friends or something like that, and it just actually becomes worse over time. Yeah. 
Yeah. I noticed something. They have that brief interaction. You see, she wants to get excited, but she doesn't get too excited because she knows. Just yeah. maybe once in a while, if you could just say hi and ask me how I'm doing. Even in her excitement of being <laughs> noted, she keeps it down because she's so used to being disappointed. It's so sad. It's such a tragic character. Yeah. In the biggest sense of tragedy, it's the most tragic character. She was a major narrative force by getting that rat. Yeah, yeah the rats. Yeah. That was weird, wasn't it? Like, it made no sense. That was yeah. That was just strange. It, I mean, it made no difference to the overall story, did it? Well, volume three, they explain it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't make yeah. me write an essay right now, but I remember them talking about it. They're symbolic of like all types of warfare that are illegal. Chemical warfare, uh, <laughs> pro <laughs> warfare. Well, this is what those three rats represented within the war of the tarantula yeah. war. Because using rat kings for warfare, for strategic warfare, was illegal. I'm embarrassed to say I filed that under, oh, kind of like the board. My mind just left it. Now I'm thinking about it when we were talking about the rats, how it actually becomes a major plot point in the third volume. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because those rats decimate a whole planet and eradicate a whole race of people because of those rats. And Halo Jones saved those rats. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out passively, she helped eradicate a whole race of people from a planet. And she decides to no longer be a passenger. I'm not going to let other people write my story anymore for the first time in all the books where she actively does something upon herself and makes a decision when she turns the valve to kill colonel hannibal whatever cannibal guy a major plot point turning point in control of her own story and then she takes off with his spacecraft that's Mm -hmm. how the third volume ends those rats do play a major Mm -hmm. part like contextually how do you live by that rule just murder any animal that's in need (laughs) (laughs) with a little a three-legged dog the other rats wouldn't have died they would have just became normal rats they wouldn't have became an intelligent race all these other rats would have still survived but that one rat that was older and dying would have just passed away naturally and the other rats would have just re-become rats they wouldn't have been a high intelligent species anymore the rats do play a very important part of the end of the third volume so it's a shame that this finished them when it did it sounded like there was a significant part of this character's journey yet to come yeah it almost feels like we were on the cusp of the actual story we've read the prelude I mean do you know how long in real life years this lasted for 4 to 86 but I'm not Sure. Yeah, I think it's 687. Yeah, because if he did it to, if he abandoned it to do Swamp Thing, then yeah, yeah, like two years. Mm. Oh, fucking Swamp Thing! <laughs> I'm going to cut down a couple of trees. I think. <laughs> or at least I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a dog and get them to do what dogs do best next to trees. And the thing is, we're, we're not gonna get it now. He's retired from comics. He's, he, yeah. he hates comics. Well, if he if he came back and finished off the Halo Jones story, I'd definitely well, be interested. Why don't, in making... why don't we just get Jeff Johns to finish it off? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. That'd be too funny. Baby, that one's for you. Let's bring Jeff Johns back to finish the job off. He seems to do a good job of that, doesn't he? Especially with uh, <laughs> Might bring him out of retirement. He's got a good amount of more work. Can you finish it off? But the thing is, he's a stickler, so he wouldn't even license. Probably don't out. own it though, does he? That's the thing. Same with um, the abomination that followed Watchmen, according to Young Goosey Baby. Mm. You don't have proprietary rights, do you? You just have residuals. Well, yeah. So how do you feel about that then, Brian? He was, he was definitely yes. trying to stick his oar in. Oh, yeah. No but, question. Yeah. I mean, that's what he likes to do. Sorry. He isn't the same person he was back in 84. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Maybe we better off just leave it there. Yeah. Oh, it's like when... Um, oh, do you remember the band The Slits from the 80s? They were kind of like... They were famous for being Mick Jones's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Valentine. Something Valentine. Oh, bollocks. That's it. Viv Albertine. 
and she okay. did a she did a book tour. And of course, when you see them as early twenties rock and roll stars doing nude photo shoots, like artist artistic notes, you know what I mean? I'm not a fucking pervert. I am, but like <laughs> art photos, music as well. I weren't just I weren't just looking at the pictures. It's got story as well. Of course. <laughs> You're I bought it for the jokes. I bought it for the jokes. <laughs> it's got good articles too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About plumbers and pizza delivery man. Yeah. <laughs> and In either case, she did a book tour about forty years later, and you're kind of thinking, well, that sport the illusion because you you only see your you still perceive your rock stars as being when they recorded the music or when or when like the music videos that you see on TV. And it's not just women. I'm not saying that like she was this thing, and now that she's like some old boot. But it was the same thing like when we saw um, a flock of seagulls and Ooh. and you had the bloke, the lead singer that now is probably looks like the guy that could eat the guy that released the music. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Well, that was a catastrophic end to an otherwise good show, guys. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so that is the end of that for Alan Mormon part two. So that only leaves a cast to say goodbye Joe, what have you got to say to people? Uh, great to be back and talking comics with you guys. It was wonderful. I don't know when I'll see you again next month, I guess, because this is the only show I'm doing this month. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Take it easy. <laughs> That's right. I am wonderful. Brian, please, how would you like to describe me? <laughs> yes, yes, you are. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Joe's brilliant discussing this. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, guys. <laughs> Original Maverick and uh, Goose <laughs> isn't here, unfortunately. So, Tim. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. Great discussion again. I'm really enjoying our deep dives into Alan Moore this month. I think I'm off next week, mm. so I'll see you for Captain Britain. You will indeed. Thank you very much for your uh, presence. And Tara, that, that leaves your good self, please. Okay, well, uh, yeah, another great discussion. And like Ryan just said, I have to agree that some thoughts were still coalescing as we talked. So really enjoyed doing that dive with you guys. And thanks for having me with you today. Well, thank you very much for being here. And I think that on that, I think we just all accept that we're brilliant and, and call it a day. So that only leaves me to say we have been, and this is the end. I'm going to peace. Good Bravo. job, guys. <laughs> <laughs>